inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Welcome, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast. It's all about horses and equestrian sports. Since the last time I recorded this podcast, I've been mostly on the road traveling to clinics and expos and uh, work with my TV show. So I'm happy to report that I just got home this week after my last trip for the spring which is good because spring is just about over and summer is about to begin and I'm excited to be home for a couple of months. And this is July and August in Colorado, which is July and August and September, the most glorious time of year here. Um, And that's spoken by someone who loves the wintertime here too. So I'm excited to be home, mostly because I'll have more time to work with my young horse, Pepperoni. He's just a three-year-old, and because I've been so busy traveling to expos and clinics and conferences and the like all spring, I haven't had a lot of ride time on him this spring. So he's, he's a little fresh, and he's young, and he's raring to go, so to speak, and um so I've been focused a lot on training, a training plan with him over the coming summer. I'm not in any hurry to push him too far too fast. I just want to make sure I bring him along really well. I want every moment to count in his training. He's an extremely smart, fast-learning horse. And I figure if I can avoid making mistakes, he will train really well um, on and fast on his own accord. So... Um, that's been my focus and it's been great. I'm excited to be home for the summer and be able to enjoy uh, my life here in Colorado and the horses and um, hiking in the mountains and uh, boating on the lake and and all that. So that's what my life's been like and going to be like coming up. For today's podcast, I want you to ask yourself, can my horse win a Good Citizen Award? I've been thinking a lot lately about the top 10 ground manners and handling skills a horse needs to have in order to be safe and pleasurable to be around. I've been thinking a lot lately about what makes an equine good citizen and what are the qualities I would evaluate in a horse to determine whether or not he passed the test. And there's a lot of important reasons why I've been thinking about this lately. The first is that my husband, Rich, has been shopping for a horse. And he's been going off on his own looking at horses without my, sometimes without even my knowledge, but but certainly uh, without me going with him to help him evaluate the horse. And We've bought a lot of horses together, but he's not bought many on his own, and and it was making me a little bit nervous, to be frank, and I was thinking about what what advice could I give him to evaluate that horse from the ground that he was thinking about buying, and and keep in mind, he was looking for a very well-trained horse, finished horse, so he, uh, but still, we have to evaluate the entire horse. And so I was thinking about all the skills I would want to evaluate if I was looking for that cream puff horse that I was going to pay a fair amount of money for because he had a lot of training and was really, um, you know, just the cream puff of a horse. Uh, what would I expect of that horse? So that was the first thing that really got me going on this. And the the second thing is... Um, that was easy to morph into is thinking about what I expect from my horses. Um, I'm pretty diligent about ground manners. I believe very strongly um, in having horses be safe to handle. And there are certain skills that all horses should have in order to be safe and pleasurable to be around. So, and and I'm pretty sure that my horse, Eddie, could probably win, uh, I, I always say, if they had an Eagle Scout award for horses, that Eddie would be the Eagle Scout. He would win that badge because 
he works so hard. He tries so hard at doing the right thing. And he, he's a really good at following the rules. And he never would, you know, consciously break a rule. And um, so I was thinking about the skills in my horses. And then thirdly, I've been working a lot lately with um, certain rescues, certain law enforcement impound centers, and uh, working a lot with the Right Horse Initiative focused on horses that are in transition and at risk of becoming homeless. And we have a great number of surplus horses in this country. And how do we help these horses transition safely to a new home? Did you know that on average, a horse changes hands seven times in his lifetime? You know, horses um, live a long time compared to other animals that people may be used to, like dogs and cats. You know, horses can live well into their 40, uh, 30s and sometimes up to 40 years. And um, and during that lifespan of a horse, he, on average, changes hands seven times. And each time a horse changes hands, he's at risk of something untoward happening to him. And if we can instill good training in these horses, give them solid handling skills from the ground so that anyone can handle safely and enjoyably handle these horses, they are at a lot less risk when they're in transition. And there are a lot of horses out there that have never been given the opportunity or through circumstances totally out of their control, uh, are uneducated, a little bit wild or feral or difficult to handle. And if we can instill these minimum capabilities in a horse, um, it's going to make him a lot easier to place uh, in the adoption pipeline and and find that forever home for the horse. So I've been working on a TV series focused on that subject. So all of this has been really prevalent in my mind lately. And so consequently, I've come up with a top 10 list of skills I think horses ought to have to make them safe and pleasurable to be around from the ground. We're not talking about riding horses um, at all, just handling what minimum skills all horses should have so that they fit in well into human society and are loved and cherished by a family. And also, you know, bottom line is on my horses is I want to make sure their ground manners are, are good enough that anyone can handle these horses easily. So that ensures that they're treated kindly and by my vet, by my farrier, and by anyone that should happen to handle these horses in my absence or if something were to happen to me. So with that in mind, let's take a look at my top 10 list um, of skills a horse should have in order to win a good citizen award. So number one at the top of my list is that the horse respects my boundaries, doesn't crowd my space, put his mouth or lips on me, drop his shoulder into me when I'm leading him, or, heaven forbid, sling his head at me. And, you know, some people might think, well, that, you know, of course I don't expect my horse to sling his head at me, but trust me, I've been around horses that are aggressive or... Um, you know, fearful or whatever. They don't, you know, they're, they're not necessarily on the cooperative side when they're untrained and uneducated and mad or scared. And um, But so horses are animals that establish dominance in the herd um, th in part through spatial control. So controlling the space of the subordinate is one of two factors involved in, in establishing dominance in the herd. And so I want my horse to always be aware of my space and my boundaries, to be careful of my space and boundaries, um, to know that if he, if at any time I think he is infringing upon it, he's going to hear about it from me and I'm going to back him out of my space. Um, you know, a horse's head is a big, heavy, dangerous thing that he can sling around really fast. Sometimes maybe he's just biting at a fly, and he, he didn't mean to knock you down in the process. Um, but I want that horse that's very respectful of my space and the space of all humans. I want him to 
think about stepping back from my space whenever um, whenever it occurs to him that I, he might need to. I want him to be cautious of approaching me. I do want him to want to approach me and like me, um, but I want him to only come so close before he becomes uh, visibly aware of my uh, boundary. To me, my boundary is as far around as I can reach with around me as I can reach with my arms extended. And he needs to always be aware of my space and where I am. Um, I can enter his space whenever I want, but he can only enter my space with my permission. And I don't easily grant that permission. I certainly wouldn't grant it to a horse I didn't know well and trust a lot. So, um, and as horses... Horses can be very passive aggressive, even horses that we think of as halter trained. Um, you go to lead them around and they're pulling on the lead rope and, and they're leaning their shoulder into you and you're having to kind of circle them around to control them. Um, that leaning the shoulder into you uh, is a real big problem in my book. Um, it's, it's sort of the beginning of the statement, I'm going to run over you if you don't get out of my way. And, um, and it's, it makes the horse very difficult to control. The shoulder is the hardest part of the horse to control, whether you're on the ground or riding. And so much of the groundwork that I'm going to do with the horse early on is so as to gain control of the shoulder and make sure I can always move that shoulder out of my space. Um, horses can be very mouthy. And remember, three of their five senses are at the mouth, their sense of smell, their tactile sense is their muzzle, and of course their sense of taste is in their mouth. And so they like to explore their world with all their senses, and so they want to put their mouth on everything. And also it can be a very dominant behavior. In fact, it's the most dominant behavior is biting. And it's widely known scientific fact that lipping, nipping, and biting are progressions of the same behavior. And if you allow to put your horse to put his lips on you, he will eventually nip you. And um, if nipping goes unchecked, he will begin biting. And Aggressive biting is, can become an incorrigible offense. It can become, um, he can become such a dangerously aggressive animal that he ha has few options uh, ahead of him. So all of that began with not allowing a horse to ever put his lips on me, especially a young horse. And trust me, they want to put their lips on everything including you. And um, so when you allow a horse to put his lips on you, you're saying you have no boundaries. So you've already lost the dominance game. You've already lost on the hierarchy game. Um, and you've started down the slippery slope that leads to biting. And so to me, way, way before not letting a horse put his lips on me, I don't let him turn his nose towards me because Again, my space is as far around as I can reach, and as soon as his nose comes towards my bubble, I will let him know. That's unacceptable. So um, biting, I'm afraid, and mouthiness, all that stuff is, is a problem that is encouraged and indulged by people more often than not. Um, oh, I've recently been around an aggressive horse that had learned to weaponize his head um, beyond all the other stuff, striking, shouldering in. Um, anyway, he wasn't opposed to biting either. Um, he would sling his head at you. And that's a pretty scary thing when a horse weaponizes his head. Um, most horses are never going to get that far into aggressiveness. But a lot of them will shake their head. Um, there's a particular gesture of horses where he sticks his nose out and throws his head and throws his nose in a circular motion. That's a gesture of defiance. Um, horses will shake their head when they get mad. Um, and he'll sling his head when he's mad. And so um, these are, you know, extremely volatile behaviors, but still not something I would tolerate. But all of that has to do with boundary issues. So um, that's the number one category for our Good Citizen Award. Number two, these are 
trained skills, but I want my horse to be easy to catch, halter, to lead politely alongside me in a position that I have designated, rating his speed off of me. I should be able to lead him in this manner from either side, right or left. Um, and he shouldn't, he should neither be getting ahead of me when I'm leading him from point A to point B or dragging behind me like an anchor. He should take up a position next to my shoulder. And if I slow down, he slows down. If I speed up, he speeds up. When I stop, he stops and waits patiently. Um, so these are all about leading skills, halter skills. Um, it's not hard to teach a horse to be easy to, caught, to catch. I've got some information on my website about that. Just you can go to my website, juliegoodnight.com and search um, easy to catch or hard to catch and uh, find some information there. Um, but these are trained skills and, and lead line manners are not hard at all to teach a horse. It can be taught very quickly to almost any horse. And, um, and there's a lot of information on, on ground manners in one training video of mine called Lead Line Leadership. Um, later on in the podcast, I'm going to get you, get you some information about our training bundle uh, that includes that video in it. So you can start down this road if, if you got a horse that needs some work. So, so those are my, that's my number two category, catch, halter, and lead well. Number three is he stands quietly whenever and wherever tied. Ground ties, stands still for the vet and farrier, stands perfectly still and does not move his feet unless I ask him to. So standing still skills are um, a challenging category for a lot of horse owners. Um, it takes time to develop these skills in a horse. We start tying our um, young horses as one or two years old. Um, I wouldn't do anything with a horse younger than probably, you know, 16, 18 months of age before I'm going to really start training on him. But at that time, we start tying him up on a daily basis. Nice, safe, comfortable place to be in the shade. Uh, we tie him up alongside the mature horses that are getting ridden. So they start understanding this is a routine we have to go through. They spend hours and hours at the so-called patient's post. We groom them and handle them, of course, but they have to learn that when they're tied, they're going to be there for a while, so get over it. Um, then we start tying them in different locations, up you know, by themselves, by the arena, or up by the horse trailer. Um, this, These are skills that are instilled in a horse over a long period of time, a lot of dedication from the handler to uh, make sure that you're developing the right skills in the horse, you're untying him when he's quiet and restful and not when he's impatient um, and, and acting bratty. So, um, and then beyond that, I want to train that horse through the halter and lead rope to ground tie, meaning that when, whenever I'm handling you and I say, whoa, and I lay the rope on the ground, that means do not move a foot, period. And so that ground-tied horse is one that with just the halter or the reins laying on the ground, he's got four feet planted to the ground and stands like a statue with zero consideration of moving. Um, again, these, aren't, these skills are not difficult to train into the horse, but, but it's skills that have to be maintained um, and taught over time. So... If I have invested that much time in teaching the horse to stand quietly when tied and also to ground tie um, when I have him in hand in a halter, um, by then he's going to be standing great for the vet and farrier. Also, mounting will never be an issue with this horse because he understands stand still and don't move your feet unless I tell you to. My fourth category for the Equine Good Citizen Award is that the horse is desensitized for easy handling of the mouth, nose, face, ears, legs, tail, under the belly, in between the hind legs, and that he lowers his head whenever I ask. So, uh, in other words, I want 
full body desensitization to my hands and or brushes. Um, but I, I kind of like to use my hands anyway. I want to be able to handle a horse's head and face and nose and mouth and ears, mainly for maintenance and health reasons, um, examinations of the mouth. There's, you know, certain vaccines that may be given through the nose. We want, I like to be able to clean the nose out, clean the eyes out, clean the ears out. I like to be able to massage and groom my horse's head and face. Um, I want to make sure that horse is, is good with having his legs and underbelly touched. You'd be surprised how many trained horses aren't used to having their legs touched and their bellies and between their hind legs touched. Uh, so I want to be able to handle and clean and, and um, potentially medicate any of those places. So I want to uh, also be able to handle the tail and uh, pick it up, clean, uh, you know, the rear end of the horse. And um, so all, all horses have to be desensitized to this kind of handling. And again, it's not hard. I prefer to use a technique called advance and retreat You can uh, for desensitizing. You can... Find out more about that on my website as well. And lowering the head when asked, again, it's a very easy skill to teach a horse, and it is really important for a number of reasons. First and foremost to me, for psychological reasons. A horse cannot be tense when his head is lowered all the way to the ground. So there are certain physical positions of horses that induce relaxation or tension. So when the horse is at his most tense and most prepared for flight, his head is all the way up in an erect position. And when he is at his most relaxed and contented and peaceful, his nose is all the way to the ground, like when he's eating and drinking and sleeping. And so any change in elevation of the horse's head up and down indicates changes in his emotional state. So oftentimes, particularly with uh, emotional horses, hot-blooded horses, horses that are just on emotional meltdowns, we need to get their mind back in a peaceful state before any training is going to occur, and certainly before any safe um, and pleasurable handling is going to occur. So Asking that head to drop his head, horse to drop his head to the ground helps him relax. He'll take a deep breath. You'll see him physically relax throughout his body. Um, and of course, there are a lot of functional reasons why I want to be able to lower that head, whether it's grooming or bridling or uh, any kind of treatment uh, I need to do on that horse. So um, that's our fourth category then, desensitizing for easy, easy handling all over his body and to lower his head when asked. Our fifth category has to do with his feet. Now, um, I want to be able to pick up, I want him to pick up his feet whenever I ask with just a gentle, light cue. That's not hard to teach a horse at all. Um, But what can be difficult to teach a horse is to hold their foot up, allow me to hold their foot, so to totally relax their leg, to relinquish all control over of their leg to me without leaning on me or tensing or fussing around. And most importantly, he not only holds that leg up as long as I ask him to, but he allows me to place it back down on the ground in a particular spot that I want the foot. These, this detail of, you know, <laughs> I always get a kick out of novice owners uh, when they have young horses that need training because they're always real proud of themselves because they can t- teach the horse to pick up the feet. That's easy. Irritate their foot and they will pick it up. Shift their weight off that foot and they will pick it up. What's hard is to train a horse to hold that foot up in a relaxed way, give you total control of it without leaning on you and to allow you to place it back down in a particular spot. And the reason why that ladder is important is because there there may be times throughout the horse's lifetime where maybe we need to place his foot in a bucket to soak it because he's got an abscess. Maybe we need to take an x-ray of that foot 
maybe a farrier is trying to um, place the foot on a uh, gauge or something to measure it. So it's just a good functional handling skill that a horse should have. And it also precludes that horse jerking his foot out of uh, your hands or slamming that foot to the ground, stomping on your toe. Um, so these are important manners. I want to make sure it's my responsibility as a horse owner to make sure my horse is good for the farrier to handle. And I have to teach these skills in him from the young, from the very first time I pick up his foot as a youngster. Um, so that's our fifth category for our Equine Good Citizen Award. Next is that a horse will accept confinement in a stall or a horse trailer. Now, I know right now, a lot of you are saying to yourselves, oh, I don't believe in keeping horses in a stall. I don't want my horse in a stall. I want my horse to run free. And that's good. I do too. In fact, our horses are turned out every single day and they get um, green grass in the summer and plenty of room to romp all year round. However, there are going to be times in a horse's life, certainly in my horse's lives, where they're going to have to be in a stall. For instance, for me, it's real simple. I, I travel with my horses sometimes. And if you travel, whether it's to a horse show, a clinic, a trail ride, camping, um, maybe it's traveling across the country because you've moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. And you got to transport that horse and you're going to be staying at a different horse motel every night. For whatever reason, your horse needs to, is, or maybe your horse is injured and needs to be hospitalized, heaven forbid. But do you really want him having a meltdown at that moment? He needs the veterinary attention um, because he's never been kept in a stall and he's claustrophobic. So I want my horses to accept confinement when confinement is necessary, whether that be in a horse trailer or in a stall. I want them to know that they're safe there and that they will be comfortable there and that I will always come back and get them. And so um, these are skills a horse has to learn. They don't, they don't learn them accidentally. And the, the time that this really hit home to me is one time I was teaching the clinic. And a lady had driven a long way to come to the clinic with her horse that she had raised and done all the training herself on. And it was, a, I want to say, an eight-year-old horse. It was a mature horse. It was perfectly well-trained. Um, she was very proud of this horse. And she should have been. She had done an excellent job in every way except for this one thing. She had never kept a horse in a stall before. And she believed real strongly that horses shouldn't be kept in stalls. Well, then she decided she wanted to come to a clinic and learn more and, and uh, give her horse some more exposure um, to training. And her horse had a meltdown. He had a total meltdown. He couldn't be kept in the stall. He was trying to climb out the windows. And he was frantic and he was soaking wet and sweat and he, and it was awful. She had to take him out and, and hand walk him and good, you know, for a while deliberate over what to do. We finally decided to stick it out with this horse and the horse, the horse did okay. But we don't necessarily do our horses um, any good if we never teach them that sometimes confinement may happen. You know, here in the mountains of Colorado, we worry about wildfires in the summer. And if a wildfire is coming through this area, we've got to load the horses up in the trailer and drive somewhere to safety. And they're going to, everybody with horses here is going to be going to the same place. It's going to be a big fairgrounds somewhere away from the fire. And all those horses are going to be kept in stalls, maybe two in a stall. And, um, so uh, it's just something to consider. It's something. It's a skill that has to be taught to the horse and um, something they have to be okay with um, to sometimes make them easier to manage. Of course, I want my horse, my good citizen of a horse, to load and unload easily from a trailer, willingly, without hesitation, to ride quietly in the trailer. Um, even if you don't plan to travel with your horse, this is a super important skill because you may need to transport him to the vet. He may need transported, trans, transportation um, for some other reason. Um, 
who knows? Uh, but there will be a time in the horse's life when he needs to be trailered. And of course, if we want to enjoy our horses and go to clinics and go to trail rides and, and the like, um, you know, that generally involves transporting a horse. So it's a valuable skill in a horse. Category number eight, I want that horse to keep his focus on me at all times that I'm handling him. He's got two choices, actually. He can focus on me or focus on, on nothing. I don't want him distracted by every horse that moves or comes by or a uh, person that comes and goes. I don't want him looking for an exit or searching around for his friends. And this is a really important state to reach with a horse. And a lot of people have never reached this state, so they don't really know it. But I can tell you what it looks like if you haven't reached this state. You take your horse somewhere, let's say to a clinic, that's where I see it all the time, or any kind of setting away from home. And you lead him in hand to, let's say, the arena or the clinic or wherever. And he is just a big, hot mess. He's calling out. He's walking all over you. He's high-headed. He's prancy. He's fidgety. He's fussy. He's looking all around, looking right, looking left, looking outside the arena, looking outside the area, calling out, looking, whinnying, which is a social call. He's looking for another horse. What that horse in that moment is saying to you is, you mean nothing to me. I The only reason I'm still here is because you got that lead rope in your hand. And the first opportunity I have to leave, I am out of here. I do not feel safe here. I do not want to be here. I want to be anywhere other than here. And if we just go about our business pretending like the horse isn't acting that way, um, generally things don't get a lot better. And so I need first and foremost for a horse that I'm handling from the ground or handling or riding even to know, look, dude, you're stuck here with me. I'm all you got right now. So get over it and quit looking around. You're not leaving. Leaving is not an option. You have to stay here with me. Um, but that's not that hard that I, you know, you want to be with me. Trust me. Eventually you'll want to be with me. But I disallow the looking around. I disallow horses being highly distracted by everything coming and going in their environment. Um, when I'm handling the horse, he needs to give himself over to me. And if he hasn't, then I'll do the groundwork necessary to, to elicit that attitude from the horse. And through groundwork, it's not hard to get a horse's focus at all. Um, oh, a highly distracted, emotional horse that's having a meltdown. Sure, in that moment, if the training is just now beginning, it might take some effort. Um, but the more we allow a horse to act that way, the more that becomes his normal um, mode of operating. And if, heaven forbid, you take him someplace and he starts acting that way and then you put him away, then we've reinforced that behavior, which is intolerable, which is that the horse thinks he can leave whenever he wants. So keeping his focus on me and always staying present with me, no matter where I take him and what I do with him, is a skill that I have to train to the horse, and it has to be an expectation of mine. And my ninth category for the Equine Good Citizen Award um, is sort of related to the eighth one, and that is that my horse never interacts with another horse when he's being handled or ridden. He never displays any herd behaviors, any communicative behaviors. He doesn't gesture. He doesn't pin his ears. He doesn't make sounds. He doesn't turn his butt. He makes no herd behaviors at all towards another horse when he's being handled or when he's being ridden. This is a minimal safety rule for being around horses. Um, when you have a group of horses, known or unknown, together and people are involved in the equation, either on the ground or from the saddle, we cannot allow horses to fraternize and interact in any way, shape, or form. I would scold my horse for even noticing another horse because it is not safe to have horses interacting when people are around. That's how people get hurt. They get kicked. They get stomped on. Horses wheel around and kick or, you know, next thing you know, he's striking or biting. 
Um, even friendly behavior from one horse to another. When I'm handling that horse from the ground and I'm actively riding, his job is to pay attention to me. And if another horse comes up and distracts him, I'm going to scold my horse for being distracted. And so it's just flat out rude and poor etiquette to allow your horse to be the one that's nosing around other horses, it's pinning his ears back, threatening to kick, or any of those kinds of behaviors. Those behaviors can all be eliminated through training, um, but best of all, they can be allowed never to develop by horses being handled properly from the youngest age and taught this important manner from the youngest age. If you don't believe it's it's um, not easy to, to teach horses, go to, go to a rodeo sometime. Go walk around out back. You'll see dozens and dozens and dozens of horses tied up next to each other. Stallions, mares, geldings. Um, they totally ignore each other. They know they're in a place where they just have to act a certain way. Um, horses are really good at acting the way we expect them to act. Um, they're very good at following rules when rules are clearly defined and consistently enforced. So that rule is an important one. Do No fraternization is allowed between horses whatsoever um, when horses are being handled or ridden. They can do whatever they want to do on their own time, but not when people are around. My final category is that the horse is willing to leave the safety and comfort of the herd to go with me anywhere and without question. And I'm going to add to that another tall order, which is that my horse acts the same way away from home that he does at home. That's a tall order in any horse. And a lot of people have trained their horse to a certain level and at home and they're really impressed with how well their horse is trained and then they take him someplace for the very first time and their, their horse seems to have come completely untrained. But horses need practice at that. They need to generalize their training to different settings. And this is a long time consuming and expensive stage in a horse's training that he um, learns to act the same way away from home that he does at home. And um, so I want that horse that's willing to go with me anywhere. He doesn't look back. He doesn't refuse or balk at leaving the herd, whether I'm on the ground or riding, that he trusts me um, and, and given himself over to me. And acting the same way away from home as he does at home is a factor of the horse's training. And the more training and experience he has, um, the more you develop that skill. So that's a pretty tall order. Those are a lot of things that I expect from my horses and that I want to instill in all horses to make sure that they're safe to be around, that they're enjoyable to handle, um, and most importantly, that that horse's future is a bright one, that he's going to be uh, he's well managed, he's going to be treated kindly, he's going to always have a loving and adopting home ready to take him when if he should find himself um, needing it. So just in review, these top 10 categories, if you want to score your own horse, as I go through these, there's 10 categories. So you can score your horse on one to 10 in every category, 10 being perfect. And those 10, if he gets perfect in every category, he'll have 100%. Um, and he'll definitely be an Eagle Scout. So if you are scoring less and less, you know you have areas to work on. So number one is the horse respects my boundaries. Doesn't crowd me, put his mouth or lips on me, shoulder into me, or sling his head at me. Number two, easy to catch halter and leads politely alongside me. Number three, he stands quietly when tied. He ground ties, stands still for the vet and farrier. Number four, He's desensitized for easily ha easy handling all over his body, mouth, nose, ears, face, legs, tail, genitals, belly. Every square inch of him I can touch and handle. Number five, picks up his feet when asked, holds them up as long as I ask, and allows me to place the foot down. Number six, he accepts confinement in a stall or trailer. Number seven, loads, unloads from a horse trailer and rides quietly. Number eight, Keeps his focus on me or on nothing at all times that I'm around him. He's not distracted by others or looking for an exit. 
Number nine, he does not and will not interact with other horses or display any herd behaviors of any kind when he's being handled from the ground or ridden in a group of horses. And number 10, finally, that he's willing to leave the herd and go with me anywhere without question. He's not calling out to his friends, uh, balking, doing all that kind of stuff. And he acts the same way at home on the road that he does at home. So if you take each of those categories and break them down and score your horse, you'll know where you need to work. If you're looking for a horse, you can evaluate them in these things. If you're training a horse, you know the skills you need to master. And I have a few hints from you that's going to make it a little bit easier. First of all, if you go to juliegoodnight.com slash blog and look at my blog from June 2019, these 10 categories are listed in a written format. You can print that out, take it to the barn with you um, when you think about evaluating a horse. Um, secondly, we have the Spring Training Groundwork Bundle, and it includes a rope halter and training lead, um, a flag, and my lead line leadership video, which is all about establishing leadership with your horse from the lead line, um, teaching ground manners, these important ground manners like lead, leading, rating your speed, ground tying, um, even gets into liberty work with your horse. So um, it's a great training resource. And so if you find yourself in a position of a horse that, um, let's say, didn't have a, a brilliant score in the Equine Good Citizen Award, and you know you've got some work ahead of you, uh, you know these 10 categories of things you need to work on, so the spring training groundwork bundle gives you all the tools you need to get started right away. And the good news is um, it's 20% off in that bundle. So it's only going to cost you $119 for all of those resources. So check that out at shop.juliegoodnight.com. And I'm eager to hear how your horse scored. So if you want to write me a comment uh, on this podcast, that would be great. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey? Q&A. This is your time to ask the questions and my time to provide you with answers. So, Megan, what's our first question today? Okay, your first question comes from Vicki. She says, my confidence level needs a boost in the spring. My mare gets a little goosey for her first few rides and then settles right in. In the meantime, I'm edgy waiting for her to spook. How can I calm down? Well, good question, Vicki. And I think one of the keys that I heard in your question is that you already know your mare is going to settle right down and go on with business after a few rides. So it sounds like you're overly focused on the worrying about the spooking and not just let's get through this. And so we can go on and have a good summer because that positive imaging is such an important part of the equation. But for whatever reason, all of us at times need a confidence boost. Maybe for your case, it's because your horse is fresh in the spring and she's going to spook a, a few times before she settles into her job. For other people, it may be coming back from an injury or an incident. Um, for other people, it may be that they're getting older and their confidence just wasn't what it used to be. Um, even professional riders have occasion to... Um, sometimes deal with confidence. Maybe they've had a bad experience, you know, at a show or competition or um, heaven forbid gotten injured or something like that. So we all need a confidence boost at times. So there's a few things that I want you to key in on. Um, number one, you also stated that your horse gets spooky and then you get edgy waiting for her to spook again. You are probably doing a lot of that to your horse. You are um, probably subconsciously cueing the horse to spook at times. Um, you are possibly at times reacting to each other in that spooky behavior. Um, but, you know, keep in mind that when we're riding a horse, a large part of our body is connected to that horse. And if you are having negative, fearful thoughts in your head, there is a reaction in your body, and even if it's the most minute reaction in your body of tension and fear, the horse is going to feel it. 
but as likely it's not, it's not minute at all. Um, you know, as a rider tenses up, she starts perching forward. She starts closing the pelvis, getting on her crotch. That makes her heels come up. So she's clinching with the lower leg. She's grabbing with her hands. Um, she's focused down on the horse instead of ahead to the destination that you're riding. So uh, be very careful to control your body language. Just sit back, relax. I'm going to talk about that specifically in a minute. But just keep in mind that because of the sensitivity level of horses, and because they are herd animals and prey animals and flight animals, they are programmed to act like the animals around them. And when you tense and become fearful, your horse can't help but tense and become fearful. So keep in mind that it's quite possible that you're doing some of this to your horse. You're, you're inadvertently cueing the horse to act that way. So for anybody who needs a boost to their confidence, I can tell you three really important things, and they're not hard to do. First of all, it's your eyes. Your eyes are the window to your soul. And one of the first things that happens when you become nervous is that you lose focus and you look down. And so by just simply keeping my eyes up alert, aware, looking around, taking in information in my environment, keeping my eyes active and engaged, in the riding that I'm doing, um, that one thing will help hold off a lot of the other symptoms of fearfulness and nervousness. So keeping your eyes engaged keeps your mind proactive. Um, and that's a really important thing in confidence. Secondly, your breathing, deep abdominal breathing, um, breathing in slowly and out slowly. I personally am a big fan of breathing in four beats through the nose and breathing out four beats through the mouth as a way to calm and slow your breathing. Um, so deep abdominal breathing is the antidote to fearful breathing. Um, also, your horse will cue off your breathing. Um, it happens all the time watch people around their horses and see how often when the person sighs, the horse sighs, or when the person goes, <gasps> you know, the horse does the same thing. So as you practice deep abdominal breathing, um, it helps relax your body and mind, but it also has the added effect of relaxing the horse's body and mind and encouraging him to take a deep breath as well. Finally, the third simple thing that you could do to give yourself a confidence boost is to be aware of your body language. Make sure you're sitting up straight and in a confident position and demeanor. Um, there are certain positions of power that we can put ourselves in that, that has an actual scientifically proved uh, effect on your mind to make you more confident and feel stronger. Um, one is the Superman pose, um, standing like Superwoman. So the, most of it just involves sitting up straight and looking like you're confident. And no matter how you feel on the inside, you don't want to show that weakness on the outside because, you know, there's a mind and body and spirit connection. And if you will, the mental, the physical, and the emotional. And those three parts of our being are intertwined. And so if we can control the mental and the physical with our body language, with our focus of our eyes and our breathing, um, then the emotional aspect of our being, the fear, does not have a chance to take over. And um, those three things are the most important um, tools in your toolbox for uh, boosting your confidence. And finally, just the one thing I would add to that, and, and, and again, just stated within your question um, it makes me think of this, but think about a positive outcome instead of a negative one. You stated in your question that I just know my horse is going to do this, and then that's all I worry about, and then I focus on that. Then you're inadvertently transmitting that message to your horse. Um, so instead, have a plan for a positive mental image. How do you want this ride to go? How do you want your horse to react and respond? What do I need to do to get my horse in that mental state? Maybe I just want to have a positive outlook. Um, maybe in that moment that horse is spooking, I need to look far ahead of me and find a destination and ride to it. But so, so what often happens when people get nervous and fearful on a horse is they shut down and they want to stop the horse and they want to look down and they want to contain everything. 
when the best way out of your dilemma is to look forward, to find a destination, to ride proactively to that destination. And that makes the horse feel like he's okay. Um, he knows, oh, I know how to do this. Um, so in the moment that horse is spooking, if you're focused on the spooking, instead of just riding your horse out of it, I see so many um, situations with people riding horses that are feeling a little bit out of control when all they need to do is just start asking the horse to do something, go forward, turn right, turn left, go forward some more, and everything would be fine. But instead, they try to shut the horse down in that moment. And uh, that doesn't really help. It's generally better to keep that horse moving and to stay in control. So make sure you have a positive image in mind when you think about it, plan ahead of time what you're going to think about, what the image is going to be, you know, watch a video, watch someone else that you admire or a horse that you think is really great and have that image in your head, focus ahead and ride to a destination. So if you'll think about all of those things, Vicki, your confidence level will be exactly where you need it to be. Okay, your next question comes from Diane. She says, I have a horse that is cinchy. I have been lunging her before tacking up, and it's helping a little. Can you offer any other solutions? Okay, well, first of all, let's define what we're talking about. A cinchy horse is a horse that reacts negatively or emotionally or even aggressively when the girth or cinch of the saddle is being tightened. And um, I've written a lot about this subject, by the way. And if you go to my website, um, juliegoodnight.com, um, and go to the academy side, you'll and you can search for um, cinchy horses. And um, I have articles, videos. Um, I also have a training video, actually, trouble, troubleshooting problem behaviors. And one of those is cinchiness in the horse. So in a nutshell, here's my philosophy. Uh, people create cinchy horses. And um, generally, that horse has either been frightened or hurt by the tightening of the cinch at some point in his life. It may have been long ago. It may have been the first time he was saddled. It may have happened much later. Um, one of my horses got cinchy when she was in her 20s just because somebody over-tightened the cinch and, and um, bruised her. And um, so... Um, but it is a problem that can exist over time. It can get worse and worse over time to where the horse is violently reacting to the tightening of the cinch. And oftentimes, these are really great riding horses. Oftentimes, this is the only problem the horse has and in an otherwise, you know, perfect existence. So, um, First thing is to understand that the horse has some emo emotional baggage about the tightening of the cinch. It's probably not still hurting him, but at some point it did. Um, and at some point, as time goes on, it becomes ingrained behavior. So first of all, I would like to say that this is preventable behavior, um, but it has you have to go back to the very first time the horse is saddled. I'm very, very careful, and I talk about this in my colt starting video um, called Ready to Ride. I'm very careful to try to figure out if the horse is prone to sensitivity in the girth area. Uh, I, I always start with a surcingle just around the girth area of the horse, see if he's going to react to that. We massage the girth area a lot. We tighten it very slowly. All this before we even put an actual saddle on the horse's back. So at every step, we take it very slowly to make sure the horse is not going to be bothered by the cinch. We never tighten it up any tighter than we have to, uh, to hold that saddle in a safe position. And um, so by taking our time in the beginning, we can avoid these patterns of behavior from developing. And um, I would say just a really rough, crude guesstimate based on the, the number of horses I've started under saddle. I, I guess that about 25% of the colts that you start under saddle are going to be a little bit cinchy. They'll want to buck the saddle a little bit or, or not, not like the cinch and that understandable. Um, so I guide those horses very slowly and carefully through that process so that it doesn't become a big emotional bucking, crazy saddle slips and 
horse pulls back and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the secondary way that horses become cinchy is somebody just um, tightening the cinch so hard and so fast that it hurts or scares the horse. Sometimes I get the feeling that it's just a frightening feeling of confinement. Um, and sometimes you get the impression that it actually hurts the horse. And I've seen horses with hematomas at the girth that were clearly inflicted by a girth that was too tight. So we constantly berate people for safety reasons. Check your sense, check your sense, check your sense before you mount. But that doesn't mean tighten, 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 tighten. <laughs> So we want them to make sure that the girth of the cinch is tight enough to hold the saddle in place when the rider mounts and dismounts and should the rider become out of balance during the ride. But it doesn't have to be any tighter than that. And if my horse has really prominent withers and an A shape um, to their back in the wither area, that saddle's not going to be prone to slipping at all. So that horse probably doesn't need a super tight cinch, whereas a horse that's very fat and round and shaped like a barrel. Um, maybe the saddle doesn't quite have a good fit um, and is prone to slipping. That horse is going to need the, the cinch much tighter. So you've already got a cinchy horse, so the sensitivity is already developed. Sometimes they can bite. Sometimes they can pull back if they're tied. So the number one thing is we never um, tighten the cinch of any horse, really, but especially a cinchy horse um, when the horse is tied. So if I've got the horse standing in cross ties or standing at the hitching rail tied while I saddle him, I'm always just going to undo the knot, undo one side of the cross ties, make sure my cross ties have a breakaway. Um, so if my horse raises his head because the tightening of the girth is bothering him and he hits uh, the end of the lead rope or the end of the tie, that can freak him out and make him go into a full-blown panic. So I want to make sure he's not going to be um, thrown into a panic by being tied. So I always untie those horses first. Then I want to tighten this. Um, often I will actually massage this the girth area of the horse, making sure I release the pressure when the horse relaxes and accepts it. And um, I do that repeatedly until I can touch and massage the girth area of the horse without him reacting to it. Um, then I'll pick the cinch up um, into the, his girth and release it, pick it up, release it, pick it up. Just kind of a period of time where I'm warning him that I'm going to tighten the cinch. And then and only then will I actually fasten the cinch or the girth, but I want to keep it as loose as possible. So I'm just going to fasten it enough to hold the saddle safely in place. And I would like to walk the horse in a little circle at this point. So I'll walk him forward, take him around a circle. I'll make sure he, he's okay with it there. And then I'll tighten it one hole, walk him around again. I'll take my time, maybe over 10 minutes or more, maybe even warm my horse up a little bit under saddle before I tighten it, the final tightening that I need it to be to ride. So um, uh, tightening that cinch over time, 10, good 10 minutes walking the horse between every tightening um, will help alleviate the emotional baggage that the horse has. And then another idea I'll throw out at you is that oftentimes senshi horses are very location specific in their behavior. So that same horse that throws a wall-eyed fit when you tighten the cinch um, in front of the tack room or at the, let's say, tied to the horse trailer, when you get off that same horse in the middle of a trail ride and you tighten the cinch thin, he doesn't react to it at all. That's because he has associated a place and a routine with his emotional behavior. And so a lot of times we can eliminate that habitual behavior by tightening the cinch someplace else where they're not expecting it, like in the middle of the arena or in the round pen or wherever, just not where, where they normally react to it. So uh, again, there's a lot of information on my website, uh, juliegoodnight.com slash academy. Also, I have a video called Troubleshooting Problem Behaviors, and um, Cinchiness is on there. Those videos are available both in DVD and streaming at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Thank you, everyone, for a fun and interesting conversation 
about the Equine Good Citizen Award. I'm really eager to read your comments and to hear about how well your horse scored in that test. I hope you found the information useful. We covered a lot of ground today, not only talking about great ground manners in your horse, but also about boosting your confidence and about dealing with particularly troubling training issues like a horse that's reactive when you tighten the girth or the cinch in the saddle. So we covered a lot of ground. I hope everybody found something that was helpful. If you have any questions for our What the Hay Q&A segment, I'd love to hear from you. So please leave a comment on the podcast or on Facebook. And we're open to ideas for the podcast and particular questions you might have about your horse. If you'd like to participate in a call-in session with me, please message me on Facebook. Thank you for listening to my podcast. And be sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're there, please leave me a review. Every time you do, I enjoy reading your comments. We've gotten comments from listeners all over the world who love horses and love learning more about how to get along better with these incredible creatures. So drop me a line. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.